You are listening to the Devoted Women's Podcast. This teaching is meant to be listened to after having completed the lesson in your workbook. We hope this teaching equips, encourages, and empowers you. Grace and peace. Hi, sisters. You ready for this? <laughs> All right. Okay. So last week, Anna taught us about um, that there are power in numbers. And so Paul and Barnabas spoke with authority. They were relatable uh, and they gave an invitation to believe in Jesus. Paul was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. When Satan views Christians as a threat, he sends opposition. We see that this week as well. Then the Jerusalem Council um, decided that Gentiles, they did not have to undergo circumcision as a means to salvation. And then Anna emphasized also this was a critical moment for the early church. Uh, thankfully, the apostles and James, they came together as led by the Holy Spirit and said salvation comes from belief in Jesus alone. So that's a recap from last week. So I'll start on Paul and uh, Barnabas separate um, Acts 15, 36 through 41. I'm not going to read scripture just in the interest of time. I'm just going to dig right into it. So in verse 36, we see that Paul has a pastor's heart. He didn't want to merely plant churches. He also went back and he wanted to see how they were doing and check on them. He wanted to nurture them and grow them in their faith. In verses 37 through 41, Paul and Barnabas are divided over the issue of bringing John Mark with them. John Mark is also the gospel. He wrote the gospel of Mark. He's also Barnabas's cousin. A little bit of Bible trivia for you there. He also left Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey in Acts 13, 13, in what seemed to be less than honorable circumstances. So Paul seems unwilling to trust John Mark as a missionary companion at this point. Verse 39 states, there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. So Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and went through Syria to Cilicia, strengthening the churches. It's interesting to note that Barnabas went to his home country and Paul went to his home country. So Paul chose Silas, sometimes called Silvanus, to accompany him. Silas became an important part of Paul's missionary teams. He became an important part of Paul's missionary teams. Silas was recognized as one of the leading men among the brethren in Acts 15.22 and a prophet in Acts 15.32. He was a Roman citizen, as we will see in Acts 16.37, and he probably spoke Greek. He also wrote out some of Peter's letters, and that's referenced in 1 Peter 5.12. So this dispute seems more personal and less important than the disputes that we see in Acts 15.2 and 15.7. So again, Anna taught us last week that those disputes in Acts 15.2 and 7 were about Jewish Christians trying to impose the law of the Old Testament on Gentile converts regarding circumcision. The Bible doesn't say if Barnabas and Paul's relationship was strained for a long period of time. We don't know. But as believers, we are commanded to resolve relationship problems. Matthew 20, Matthew 5, 23 through 24 states, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. God used this division, though, to further the gospel to more places. So now instead of one missionary team, there's two teams. So it reminded me of Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things were together 
together for good to those for those who love God and to those who are called according to the to his purpose. So Paul and John Mark were likely reconciled because in Colossians 4:10 we see that Paul calls John Mark a fellow worker for the kingdom of God and asks them to welcome him. Uh, if, if he goes to them. So while there may have been dissension for a time, ultimately they're, they're united in Christ again. So I, um, I think we shouldn't be surprised when there are differences between these wise and good men of God. We are told that offenses will come. And here's an example of an offense. Even though they are both united in Christ, they have differing opinions and views. So until Jesus returns and we are glorified, there may arise contentions among believers. We need to handle them, handle contentions biblically and with love and humility. God did turn the situation around for his good and glory by creating two missionary teams. And we can sometimes agree to disagree and let God work his will. So looking at Acts 16, 1 through 5, uh, we see that Paul's return to Lystra, where the people had tried to worship Paul and Barnabas as Greek gods, and Paul was stoned and left for dead. Scholars estimate that Paul's second missionary journey took place about five years after his first missionary journey. So Paul wanted to see for himself what the Lord had done and how the work had continued among these churches. In these verses, we meet Timothy. He's the son of a Jewish woman who's a believer and his father is Greek. In 2 Timothy 1, Paul, uh, I'm sorry, 1, 5, slow down. Paul was, um, Paul says that Timothy, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, is a believer as well. So Timothy's mom and grandmother were both believers. So he's also a second generation believer because his mom and his grandmother were, were believers. He's well spoken of by his brothers in Lystra and Iconium. So he has a, we know he has a good reputation. Later in the New Testament, Timothy goes on to be the pastor in Ephesus. Paul writes two letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy, to encourage him and give instructions regarding the church, elders, and church leaders. Paul says that Timothy is like a son to him in Philippians 2:20 20 through 22 through 22. So in verse 16:3, Paul has Timothy circumcised. And as Anna taught last week, the Jerusalem Council had decided that circumcision was not necessary to be saved. Paul had Timothy do this as to not offend the Jews. We can conclude that Timothy did this voluntarily. It wasn't a requirement. So he did this to overcome any barriers to his witness for Christ. The Jews knew Timothy's dad was Greek, so Timothy wasn't circumcised at birth. At the time Paul met Timothy, he was delivering the decrees to the churches from the Jerusalem council that didn't require circumcision. So it seems a bit contradictory, but it was not. It was voluntary. Paul said he wanted to be all things to all people for them to be saved. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by, by all means save some. The wording in verse 16.3 implies that Paul himself probably performed the circumcision. So this was a well thought out decision for both men. So it was a short term pain for a long term reward, ultimately glorifying God. So verse 5 states the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in numbers daily. The church was strengthened and grew because Paul, Silas, and Timothy's first priority was Jesus and telling people the good news of what Jesus had done for them and their concern for the churches. They didn't rely on man-centered or manipulative methods. It was Jesus first and Jesus only. 
So as Timothy's mom and grandma were a major influence in his faith, we are a major influence of the people in our circle. Whether it's kids, spouses, parents, or friends, we have an opportunity to show a good example and tell those that aren't saved what Jesus has done for them and for us. We should also think about anything in our lives that could be a barrier to spreading the gospel and ask, ask the Holy Spirit, um, ask, ask the Holy Spirit what it is and get rid of it as the Holy Spirit leads us. So moving on to Acts 16, 6 through 10, um, we see that Paul, Silas and Timothy were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. After they had strengthened the churches in the region, Paul wanted to go towards the next important city of Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit said no. Paul then attempted to go north to Bithynia, but once again, the Holy Spirit said no. After God directed them away from both Asia and Mysia, they, uh, they then went to Trous. Trous wasn't Paul's first choice, but he was obedient to the Holy Spirit and God's will. Paul was guided by doors being closed. The Holy Spirit guides us by closing doors just as much as he does by opening doors. I always pray for the Lord to open the doors he wants open and close the doors that he wants closed. And if he doesn't, <laughs> I will walk through them. I will not only walk through them, I will bear, bear, barrel through them without his guidance. I tell God, help me because I, I am dumb. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Tell me, Lord. In verse 9, Paul has a vision at night of a man in Macedonia asking for help. The best help we can give anyone is to share the gospel with them. So Paul concludes that the, from the vision that the Lord wants them to preach the gospel to the people in Macedonia. This moved Paul and his team from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. So this we, we see our first missionary trip to Europe. So God wanted Paul to win a continent to Christ, not just a few cities. In verse 10, we see that Paul and his team immediately sought to go to Macedonia. They didn't wait. They didn't think about it. They didn't pray about it. They just did it. And there's also a change in the pronoun here from they to we. This clue leads us to conclude that Luke has joined the missionary team. So Luke was a doctor. So he may have joined the team as Paul's personal doctor. So this may have been another reason why the Holy Spirit did not want them to preach the word in Asia. They went to Trous and picked up Dr. Luke. So because God said no to Paul twice, we now have the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He's the writer of both those books. So Paul probably didn't know at the time what God was doing or what his purpose was for redirecting them, but Paul trusted God and was obedient. Paul and his team sought to go immediately. They didn't hesitate, and neither should we, when we know what God wants us to do. As we seek God's will and direction in our lives, we can pray to Him. Ask ourselves, is, if what we want, is what we want what God wants? Does it line up with God's Word? Um, or you can ask a mature uh, Christian for advice. But we need to surrender our will to God's will. It's not about us. So Acts 16, 11 through 15. So now they're sailing to, uh, from Trous. They ran a straight course to Samothrace, to Neapolis, and then to Philippi. So verse 11 in the King James Version states, they came with a straight course, which is nautical language, for they had the wind at their back. It didn't take them long. They sailed 156 miles in two days. Later we see in the book of Acts that this journey took five days. So in verse 12, they went to Philippi. Today, that is northern Greece. So, which was the leading city in Macedonia. So Paul knew it would be easier for the gospel to spread from large cities rather than 
to large cities. So it'd be easier to come from the larger cities than to go to them. So Philippi was a Roman colony and they were proud of their Roman connection. Because of a decisive battle in the second Roman civil war in 42 BC, many soldiers chose to retire there. So Paul founded a church there as well in um, 50 to 51 AD and he wrote a letter to the church and that's the book of Philippians. So that urged the church to clear up their disunity and it encouraged them to not give in to persecutions. So moving on to verse 13, we read that on the Sabbath, they went by the riverside where they thought there was a place of prayer and spoke to the women that were gathered there. The Jewish women met by the river because they didn't have a synagogue in Philippi. This meant that there were not many Jewish men in Philippi. It only took 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue in a city. So there wasn't even 10. So this rule comes from Numbers 14, 27, when Moses sent 12 spies to Canaan. 10 returned and said that they, they couldn't conquer the land. Moses, Moses calls these men an assembly. So that's where they get that from. Um, so one woman, here we meet Lydia. So she worshiped God and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to Paul, what Paul was saying. She accepted Christ and her household did as well. So after she and her household were saved, they are immediately baptized. The first few things she did as a new convert was she brought her household to Paul to be saved. Then they were all baptized. And then Lydia, she was from Thyatira and sold purple cloth, which meant she was probably wealthy. She was responsible for a household as no husband was mentioned. So purple cloth was expensive and very valuable. It was often worn as a sign of nobility. So she was a Gentile woman gathering outside Philippi on the Sabbath, praying to the God of the Jews. She was searching spiritually, and given that she was at a prayer meeting, she probably was open to hearing more about God. God in his goodness and compassion responded by providing her with even more truth. Lydia is remembered as Paul's first European convert. In verse uh, 15, Lydia asks Paul and his team to stay with her. She's immediately showing Christian hospitality and setting out to do good. Her heart and home was open to Christ and his ministers for his sake. Lydia's heart was also open to Christ. When our hearts are open to Christ, the ear is open to his word. The lips are opened in prayer, the hand open to give, and we are obedient to the Lord. We have to open our hearts first, be ready to receive. Ephesians 4, 23 through 24 states, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Lydia was renewed. This is exactly what happened for Lydia and her household that day. They were made new. Okay, Acts 16, 16 through 24, we see, um, this is a story about the slave girl. So, as Paul and his team were going to prayer, they were met by a slave girl with a spirit of divination. She made a good living by telling her owners, uh, or by, for her owners, by telling people their futures. So to be very clear, she was possessed by a demon, and the demon may have been giving her supernatural insight into the lives of others. Demons are created beings and cannot read minds, but they may be able to predict, predict human behavior and steer events towards a predictable future. So... The demon-possessed slave girl was following them around, declaring who Paul and Silas were, servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. She didn't do this just for one day, but for many days. And Paul grew greatly annoyed and cast the demon out of her in Jesus' name. 
Paul did not want a demon telling people who he was and why he was there. Jesus commanded demons to be silent, even if they were speaking truth about him. And Paul followed suit. He did the same thing. Darkness has no place announcing the coming of light. Paul spoke beyond the girl to the demon itself with the authority of Jesus. The demon came out that very hour, which is translated, it came out there and then. The demon saying who Paul and Silas were reminds me of James 2.19. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. When the slave girl's owner saw that they made the, their, the way they made money was gone, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace in front of the rulers. They're justices, justices of the peace or the law and then the magistrates. Magistrates at this time were public civil officers, so judges or governors that had authority. So Paul and Silas were probably singled out because they were Jews. Luke was a Gentile and Timothy was a half Jewish, so he probably looked like a Gentile, so a non-Jew. So the first accusation from their accusers is is that they are Jews. The Romans did not like Jews because they challenged their polytheism, which is a belief in more than one God, and idolatry. Their charges were vague, accusing them of causing trouble in the city and advocating customs not lawful for Romans to accept or uh, practice. But it was enough to beat them and throw them into jail, assuming they were not Roman citizens. There were two sets of rules in the Roman Empire, rules for Roman citizens and rules for non-Roman citizens. Roman citizens had specific granted civil rights. Non-citizens had no civil rights and were subject to whatever the crowd or the magistrates wanted. So the crowd joined in and attacked them and the magistrates tore their clothes off them and ordered them to be beaten with rods. In Jewish legal tradition, there's a maximum number of blows that you can give to a person, but the Romans did not have any limits. After the terrible beating, they were put in a maximum security jail in the most uncomfortable conditions. They were put in the inner prison in their, with their feet in stocks. These stocks had more than two holes for legs, so the legs could be forced apart, causing even more cramping and pain. So Paul and Silas, who were peaceful men and had not committed any crime, were put in stocks designed for holding the most dangerous of criminals. The jailer may have heard of Peter's escape in Acts 12.9 and the apostles' escape in Acts 5.19, and that's why he put them in the inner jail. So now we see Paul and Silas in the jail, and we're in Acts 16.25-40. through 40. So Paul and Silas are in a smelly, dirty jail in stocks that can find their legs. It's painful. And given that it's midnight, it's really late. Not to mention they were just beaten with rods and they're dealing with those injuries. Do they cry out to the Lord for deliverance like most of us would do? No. Verse 25 starts with but. And we know that's a transition word. They pray and are singing hymns to God. What's even more significant is the prisoners. They're listening to them. Even though they are imprisoned for doing good, they are still filled with joy. Anyone can be happy, but real joy only comes from within and from the Lord. In tough circumstances, joy is a choice. Psalm 1611 states, You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 1 Chronicles 16, 26 through 27 declares, For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Jesus said in John 15, 10 through 11, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. 
When we have tough times, we are to consider it joy because it teaches us patience. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That's James 1, 2 through 3. So not only is joy a gift to the believer at any time, when we go through tough times and the Lord helps us, but we also have a, we have a testimony to help others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with, we, with, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when we go through trials, we'll have a testimony on the other side, and we can share that with someone who's going through something similar. So singing must have been strange, a uh, strange sound of the other prisoners. I doubt anyone had sung in that place before. In verse 26, there's an undeniably supernatural earthquake, given the timing, location, and the fact that all the prisoners were freed of their chains. There was an earthquake when Jesus died in Matthew 27, 51. And when the angel descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from Jesus' tomb in Matthew 28, 2. So upon awakening and finding the jail wide open, the jailer was about to kill himself. Under Roman law, guards that allowed their prisoners to escape received the same punishment as the prisoner. We see this in Acts 12, 7 through 19. An angel helps Peter escape from prison under Herod, and Herod has all of the guards killed. So Paul cries out to the jailer and tells him to not kill himself because no one has escaped. He asks for a light. The jailer asks for a light and sees that what Paul has said is true. Paul and Silas had great discern discernment to not escape. They could have thought God was giving them a way out, but one soul was valuable to them, and they stayed. So the jailer falls to his knees and asks the most important question of his life. He asks, how can, I, how can he be saved? How can I be saved? The jailer was affected by the love and grace he had seen in Paul and Silas. He was probably affected by how Paul and Silas were joyful, even in misery. Paul and Silas take it a step further and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This is the simple gospel. This is salvation alone, received by faith alone. Paul, under, the, under Holy Spirit leadership, told the jailer his household would trust Jesus as he did. The jailer's household were not saved. They were not saved because the jailer was saved. Paul and Silas went to the jailer's house and spoke the word to them. They were all saved because they trusted Jesus as their savior. Now we see the same jailer that punished them was taking care of them. He washed their wounds and fed them. He was truly repentant and showed love as Paul and Silas had shown love. Then the jailer and his family were baptized. They didn't waste any time considering all this started around midnight. I mean, so who knows what time it is. So verse 34 says they rejoiced that they believed in God. The jailer was going to kill himself, and instead he received eternal life in Christ as well as his household. So Paul and Silas are good examples of how God wants us to live. Our joy behavior should be natural magnets drawing people to Christ. Jesus and us should make others want what we have. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in, in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for your, the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. A few weeks ago, Andrew taught us that people will be changed by how we love the tough people to love in our lives. People will also be changed when we handle the tough situations in our life well. Last verses, Acts 16.35-40. 
When it was day, the magistrates sent officers saying, let those men go. The, jailers told, uh, the, jailers t the jailer tells Paul and Silas they are free to go and depart in peace. So we see that Paul and Silas have returned to the jail after being at the jailer's house. Paul and Silas reveal they are Roman citizens, which brings them civil rights that have been violated. Upon learning this, the magistrates are filled with fear. It was a terrible offense to treat a Roman citizen the way Paul and Silas were treated. Paul and Silas did not, didn't reveal their Roman citizenship either because they had not had the opportunity or they may have been led by the Holy Spirit to not reveal it. Our rights are not as important as God's will. God may ask us to lay down our rights for the good of someone else. I tell my kids that God is more concerned with my relationship with him than my comfort. They don't like it, but it's true. So Paul says, let them come themselves and take us out. Paul and Silas aren't going to just leave. I don't think Paul and Silas are doing this to get revenge. I think they're doing this to protect future Christians from persecution. Maybe the magistrates won't be as quick to beat people for telling people about Christ or delivering people from demons. The magistrates went and apologized to Paul and Silas, but they asked them to leave Philippi. Paul and Silas leave the prison and go to Lydia's house. Even after all they endured, they didn't hurry out of town. In Philippi, Paul and Silas left behind two important converts, Lydia and the jailer. They both had their lives touched by Jesus in different ways. Lydia was open to the gospel and the jailer's heart was violently confronted. The jailer had a remarkable sign, the earthquake, but Lydia had the move of the Holy Spirit in her heart. They both heard the gospel and believed, changing their lives and their household's lives. Then after they saw the brothers, they encouraged them and they left. Paul and Silas left Philippi. The pronoun they suggests Luke may have stayed in Philippi. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I encourage you to stay close to Christ. Hold fast the profession of your faith. Whatever difficulties you may have right now, uh, you might have assuring you that at the end, it will all be well.